Now we're going to shift and spend some time in our message on the foundation of friendship. So tomorrow we'll be getting into all kinds of practicals. So make sure you come back if you leave tonight saying, that didn't answer all my questions. It's not supposed to. Probably at the end of tomorrow, all your questions won't be answered either, but we're going to try. Definitely come back tomorrow. But tonight we're working on our foundation. It's important to establish that first. We want to get that right. And friendship can feel like a complicated topic and a vulnerable one. You know, we're used to talking about words like community or unity or fellowship. We hear a lot about that. But friendship, are we, are we allowed to talk about that? Like, I heard the retreats on, that's kind of weird. Are we, friendships like small groups of people? Is that something that we can talk about? It's a little different. But we feel like it's what God has for us this weekend. And I want to warmly welcome those of you who come confident and grateful in your friendships. I want to welcome those who come weary in your experience of friendship, aware of the many challenges. And I want to warmly welcome those of you who come feeling friendless. Thank you for coming. It took courage. And we care deeply about you. And more importantly, God loves you profoundly. Who is equipped to sort through all these diverse feelings and experiences of friendship and speak hope and life to us? Not your speakers. I can tell you that right now. We feel vulnerable ourselves. And can we all admit that this topic's a little bit like, ooh, I feel, what are they going to say? Do I have friends? We're, we're not sure. We all feel a little bit vulnerable in this topic. So who will help us? Our good, good father is gentle and wise enough to meet us exactly where we are with his word. Exactly where you are with his word. He provides the foundation for every single good thing that he calls us to. Including friendship with other human beings. So you're in great hands tonight because you are in God's hands. Now, if we took a minute to close our eyes, I'm not going to actually give you a whole minute, but if we took a few seconds to kind of close our eyes and imagine the ideal friendship, just kind of even in this little time, think about what that ideal friendship looks like. My guess is that it would have something to do with laughter, Shared memories, coffee. Coffee has like gotten intertwined with friendship in our country, and I'm not quite sure how that happened. I think it's great marketing, but we think of coffee when we think of friendship. It's somebody who gets you, somebody who stops by your house when she knows you're down. She encourages you. She carries your burdens. She calls you when she sees a good sale. She tells you when there's something in your teeth. (laughs) Does anybody have at least one of these attributes? Two, maybe. I'm getting some of them. If you're Anne of Green Gables, it's your bosom friend, Diana. It's Sam to Frodo. If you're old enough, it's Wilma Flintstone to Betty Rubble. For the younger crowd, it's Lily to Mia in the Princess Diaries. We all long for these ideal friendships. We do. We, we long for them. But even in the best scenarios, it's hard to get there. And it's hard to stay there. Our friendships never quite measure up 
Or they go in seasons. Sometimes we have these wonderful experiences of friendship, but it's so easy and so great. What's everybody else's problem? Why aren't they experiencing what I'm experiencing? And then it turns, or somebody moves, or something changes, and it's not there anymore. And then we're dealing with it. So they change. Sometimes we have them, sometimes we don't, but we all really do want them. I asked just a couple people, random people, about things they've done in their past in an attempt to win friends, because this is so important to us. And there were some interesting answers. One friend said she'd throw away her homemade whole wheat sandwiches at the school lunch table because all the other kids had white bread. She'd just throw it in the trash. And I thought, you know what, nowadays it'd probably be the opposite. Oh, my mommy only packed me the Wonder Bread. Quick, hide it. Um, So she just threw away her sandwich. Another said she rode on the roof rack of a car while it did donuts in a parking lot. Even though she was terrified, uh, she had to impress the people. Has anyone ever been there? This is another horrifying one. Someone said they'd switch drivers while driving because of the pressures of friends. Somebody called the police on those last two. They are, they need professional help. That's scary. This one said she pierced her ear in class with someone else's earring to fit in, which is just pretty gross. And I want to know if this person still has the earring hole. We'll, we'll find out later. So something to do in the back of biology at class if you need to. Do a little lab. Somebody who grew up in the church, this is actually my personal favorite, said she'd blow on the back of other kids' necks in children's ministry when she wanted to become friends with them because it was too scary to say hi. (laughs) So she'd just blow on the back of their neck, which I thought could really help us this weekend. So we want to get to know new people. We're all a little intimidated. So if you feel a little puff on the back of your neck, just turn around and say, it's so nice to meet you. We're just all going to try that. Now, these are silly, some scary, some horrifying, but they show how much we want friendship. We are made for friendship, and we really do desire it, and we'll do crazy things to get it sometimes. So we're just going to jump into the topic. We're going to put the fear behind us. We're going to put all the tiptoeing behind us. We're just going to jump into the topic in faith that God's going to meet us. We are not afraid. So tonight we're going to talk about the foundation of friendship. Tomorrow we're going to dive into how to be a good friend and even what to do when friendship gets hard, because it does. We'll be camping out conveniently the whole time in Romans 12, which is really great for you because you can find that, stick your bookmark in there and keep it there. We're going to dig deeply into what God says to us through this chapter. So let's turn there now. Um, In your booklets, you'll also see that it's printed out. If you're outline people, use the outline. If you're not, don't, whatever. They're there to serve you. So um, use those if you wish. But as you're turning, I will just give you a little background. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, we're looking at chapter 12, 11 long chapters, Paul lays down the precious truths of the gospel, brick by careful brick, explaining it in detail. And then in Romans 12, he makes a powerful turn to how the gospel changes the way we live day to day. Do we want our lives to bear the fruit of the gospel? Do we? Do I want my life to to bear the fruit of the gospel? Let's read Romans 12, 1 to 8 which is a description of our lives when we comprehend what Christ has done for us. So follow along as I read. 
Romans 12, 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And let's pray and ask God to help us in our time. Lord, we come to you this weekend and we don't want to leave the same people that walked in. Lord, we want to encounter you. We want to hear from you. We want your word to jump off the page at us and get into our hearts. We want to apply what we hear. We want to absorb it and understand it. And we know we can't do that apart from your spirit. I can't share anything worthwhile apart from your spirit. Any listeners can't hear or absorb without your spirit helping us. So we ask you, to come in power by your spirit and fill us and change us. And we thank you that you love to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to focus mainly on verses 1 to 2 in this passage. And they present a pattern for Christian living in all areas of life. And then we're going to circle back. And talk about how that same pattern applies to the topic of friendship. Got it? The pattern of living the gospel presented in this passage, I'm going to use four words to represent. Motivation, dedication, transformation, and liberation. Sounds complicated, but it's not. They are in your outline again if you want to see them. If not, that's fine. So let's just take a look. Number one, motivation. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Now, usually we do things to get what we want. Uh, I eat because I want food. I study because we want to graduate, hopefully. This is good. This is how life works. It's designed this way. But Paul appeals to us not by logic or pragmatism this time, but by the mercies of God. And he's pointing back to the first 11 chapters where he lays out these magnificent truths of the gospel. Peace with God. Life in the Spirit. No condemnation, even though we deserve it. We're made righteous. Incredibly. Everything works for good for those who love him. How is that possible? And he says, in light of all that Christ is for us, I'm going to call you something. I'm going to call you to dedication to present your bodies a living sacrifice this is our worship the way we give glory to god we receive his dying sacrifice 
and become living sacrifices. We look to his arms outstretched on the cross, and we stretch our arms out in dedication. We say, I am yours. All I am, all I have, all I want. Make me more and more like you. We open our hands and let go of the things we think we need and we have rights to and we're going to demand. We let go of those. We offer our very selves to God, which moves us to experience number three, transformation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. As Christ followers, we don't conform to the way the culture, the world, our own sin natures do things anymore. We don't follow them. We don't listen to them. We're completely transformed, made new into God's way. And this is not natural, if you haven't noticed. So we need to renew our minds in the word of God daily. And by the power of the Spirit, we become someone different. We become more like Jesus. And in so doing, we experience liberation. Number four, freedom. We're free to love like Christ. Free to enjoy his blessings. Free to live the lives we're called to without the chains of idolatry clanking around our ankles and rubbing our skin raw. Free to live the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Motivation, dedication, transformation, liberation. Motivated by God's incredible mercies, we dedicate ourselves to him sacrificially, being transformed from worldly ways to godly ways so we can experience true freedom of life in his will. Now, the pattern applies to all of our lives as Christians. You can apply that pattern to any topic. But now we're going to spend the remainder of our time applying this pattern to friendship. So we're going to circle around all the way back to number one, talk about motivation. We're going to look first at the mercies of God. Remember Paul said, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. We're going to look at the mercies of God as seen in the theology of friendship, which I didn't know existed, theology of friendship, before I prepped for this message, but I found out. There's a theology of really almost everything because God made it all and has designs for it all, so we can study him in it. But friendship belongs to God, not the world. The world is always trying to steal God's stuff and define it and pretend it owns it and take it away. But Romans 11.36, which is the verse right before this whole Romans 12 passage, says that all things are from God, all things. So God himself within the Trinity existed eternally in friendship. He is a social God. And has made us to be joined into that friendship with him and each other. In the rebellion of Genesis 3, we rejected God's friendship. No thanks. No thanks, God. Sin destroyed the vertical friendship that we had with God and also the horizontal friendships that we had with others. Sin is antisocial. Fear entered friendship. Self-protection, selfishness, doubt, striving, suspicion, judging, jealousy, bitterness, 
manipulation. We could go on. We became a separated people from God and each other. But in astounding mercy, God sent Christ to restore us to the friendship of the Trinity and bring us into fellowship with him. Christ is our ultimate friend. You know, Jesus, friend of sinners, loved me ere I knew him. I just sing that line in that song and it takes me apart because I think that's exactly what I need him to be. Like, that's what I do. I sin. That's what I do. And Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's not the friend of the people who figured themselves out and do a really great job. He's a friend of sinners. Loved me before I knew him. That's who he is for us this weekend and always. Christ gave his life to enter into friendship with us. And he knew exactly what he was getting into, which is the amazing part. His love is wide and long and high and deep enough to fill every crevice of the longings of our hearts. Spurgeon says, But our Lord Jesus never can forsake those whom once he loves, because he can discover nothing in us worse than he knew. For he knew all about us beforehand. He saw our leprosy, and yet he loved us. He knew our deceitfulness and unbelief, and yet he did press us to his bosom. He knew what poor fools we were, and yet he said he would never leave us nor forsake us. He knew that we should rebel against him and despise his counsel oftentimes. He knew that even when we loved him, our love would be cold and languid. But he loved for his own sake. Surely then, he will stick closer than a brother. Jesus is our ultimate friend and restored our friendship with himself through the cross. And in so doing, he restored our friendship with each other, reversing the curse so that connections and joy and encouragement could flourish in him. And so that we could, it's kind of mind-blowing, emulate and experience the very friendship that God enjoys. We are invited into. Crazy. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because it's in us. It comes naturally. Now, because he first loved us. Christ's friendship is the foundation for all other friendships. And building on any other foundation is building on sand. But Christ's friendship doesn't mean we don't need others. You know, it can sound kind of super spiritual to say, all I need is God. And, you know, we all know what we mean by that. Ultimately, all we need is God. But when we say that, all we need is God, we're kind of thinking, yeah, it's it's actually kind of convenient because those other people are kind of a pain in the neck anyway. Kind of done with that whole, like, interaction thing, friendship thing. So, you know, all I need is is God. But God is the one who said it's not good for man to be alone. That's not just related to marriage. He's the one who provided other human beings for us to walk with and love and glorify him beside. Your longings for human friendship are right because friendship is one of God's kindest gifts. It's part of his very design for us. And the mercies of God that Paul's talking about us, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God, includes the rescue of friendship. The rescue of friendship is a mercy of God. Friendship is a gift that God loves and which J.C. Ryle calls the brightest sunbeam that halves our troubles and doubles our joys. So, 
We dedicate our friendships to God. Number two, dedication. We do them his way, the way they were meant to be. We open our arms, releasing our grasp on all the things we thought we had to have and held so tightly. We get ourselves out of the center. And I almost said put God in the center, but he's already there. So acknowledge that God is at the center. We sacrifice our expectations for how friendship has to look, our requirements. We throw our dreams for friendship on the altar and let God reforge them to look like his better dreams and bring a better joy. We embrace friendship in a new way, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And it moves us to transformation. We're transformed into better friends because Christ befriended us through the gospel. We're not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What does that mean, though? Sounds good, right? Sounds like something you hear in church. Something you read in the Bible. Well, what does it mean for us? We're going to slow down a little bit under this category, camp out a little bit under this category of transformation. We're going to divide it in two. We're going to look at the do not be conformed to the world part first, And then we're going to move over to the be transformed. Do not be conformed to the world. Now, the world works really hard to shape us into its image. Have you noticed that? Um, It's always grabbing us and pulling us and like shoving us and shaping us into what it thinks we need to be or look like. Um, Just take jeans, for example. All right. So I really liked the boot cut jeans. I kind of liked the silhouette, the evening silhouette that they... They gave, and then, you know, skinny jeans came, and it took me, like, a little while. My girls were helping me. I had to embrace that it's, like, bigger up here than it is down here. But, okay, we're we're all looking that way. We're doing that. Skinny jeans. Okay, so then the boot cut come, like, back, but they're not quite the same. So if you were one of those people who said, well, I'll just keep it because it'll come back. No, that never works because they always change it slightly. Um, so now I think, I don't really know, but like I think the flare starts up a little higher or whatever. And so, you know, all of a sudden we're like, oh, we don't like skinny jeans anymore. We, you know, we're like, why do we like the things we like? Nobody knows. Paint colors are the same exact way. We all had our houses painted. They looked great. And then somebody told us we had to get farmhouse and every wall needed to be gray, which threw me into like months of agony of painting little grays. And then the market is saturated. We've all painted our houses gray. And then no. Get rid of the gray. It's all got to be white. There's like bold splashes of color. And I'm not even smart enough to know. There's probably something else going on that I don't know about yet. And I don't know what's next. It could be like soft pastels could totally come back. I don't know. Um, Somebody here probably does. But why do we like the things we like? Why do we think the things we do? Uh, I don't think we're all thinking independently. There seems to be some force acting upon us. And it's pretty scary. Um, It has something to do with making us spend a lot of money. Friendship is no exception. The world works hard to shape us into its design for friendship. The world wants to own that and define it the way it owns the gene industry and the paint industry. It tells us we have to have more and be more. And it tells us that because the world is starved for meaning. It is hungry. It is famished. It has not found its satisfaction in Christ, and so it is desperate to fill itself with other things. It's desperate to be full. 
but we are full. We have Christ. So let's look at some of the ways the world tells us we have to have more. It tells us that everybody else has close circles of laughing friends with perfect teeth. <laughs> Do you notice this? They all have white, perfect teeth. And they're all like posed in that perfect like selfie shot with all the heads together. Everybody has that but you. You should be having fun every night of the week and you should be laughing all the time. And there should be like a little glimmer of light like coming right from here. How they do that. The world tells us that we deserve friends who instinctively meet our needs. How are my friends serving me? How are the people around me loving me? Have I surrounded myself with the right tribe? Where is that cup of coffee? Where are those sparkling teeth? Where, where is this? Why is it not coming my way? It tells us that we need to get rid of people who aren't part of our vision or brand or tribe and aren't affirming us appropriately. And we use the word toxic far too often to describe people who aren't truly harmful. There are toxic, truly harmful people, sadly. But to define people who just don't conform to our ideals. We need to be careful about what the world is trying to disciple us into in that. Christine Hoover, in the book that you've been given at registration, if you didn't hit the registration table, you got to get back there because there's a free book for you. She says, the wish dream of friendship is a hindrance to real biblical friendship. When we hold an ideal of friendship in our minds, believing it's attainable, we hold a standard above the heads of the real women God has placed in our lives and then wonder why we're constantly disappointed by the realities, complexities, and difficulties in our relationships. Boy, does that sound familiar, doesn't it? The world also disciples us in FOMO, fear of missing out. It trains us for this. Listen, if we're not satisfied by God and in God, but always requiring the affirmation of others, our eyes will only see the things that we're not included in. And it paralyzes us. It's happened to all of us, hasn't it? You see the picture, your stomach drops, you know everybody else has friends, loves each other, but not you. And like an army of lies come like marching into your brain. Like here we come, the gate's wide open, and they just like march in and we receive them all, we believe them all. The world trains us for that. It trains us. It's got us right where it wants us. Tells us to be more. Tells us our worth is in how many likes or followers we have on social media. Work harder. What's your problem? You only have 20 people following you. What is your problem? Where did that come from? Find that in the Bible. Tells us we have to look and act a certain way to be worthy of love. Just think of the bad outfits you have worn in your past <laughs> to fit in to what the world says. Growing up in the 80s was just so fabulous because every picture is just outrageous beyond description. So great. I feel bad for you people who grew up in other decades. Uh, every picture is just horrible in the worst way. One of the fads in high school for us was us girls, we would wear men's boxer shorts as shorts, okay? Now, these are not like the expensive $20 pair. These are like the three-pack Walmart thin, ugly boxer shorts. And we would get them at XL's and we would roll the waistband down. And that was our shorts. And whether or not we sewed up the fly, who remember? I don't know. Do we remember to do that? Nobody knew. 
Um, but we would walk around, you know, feeling like really, we were just in. We, we were so cool. Um, and I think that fad lasted probably like a month. And all our parents were like, I don't even, I, I just, I don't even want to know. Um, we do those things because we, the world tells us to. We need to do this to fit in. Of course we're going to do it. We'll do any crazy thing you tell us. It tells us that friendship should, this, this whole idea of friendship should all be very natural. And something is wrong with us if we don't have these beautiful people stopping by with coffee daily. Or we don't have a bestie who embodies all of these qualities as, and has bound herself to us for eternity. Really, it does. And you feel it. You laugh, but you know it. You know it's true. These standards will never quite be met. They'll always be slightly out of reach because friends will disappoint us. Our friends will not show up when we need them. They won't say the right thing. They might even say a really dumb, insensitive thing. Um, they, they won't get our emotional state. Not to mention the fact that nothing in the list above even talks about the kind of friend we need to be. How convenient. When we try to conform to the world, we are at the mercy of that elusive group of great-looking friends. We are at the mercy of our popularity, our sense of humor, our finances, because who can really buy that many cups of Starbucks anyway on your budget? Um, Instead of living in view of God's mercies, we are at the mercy of a world that wants us to conform and strive and prove. We're at the mercy of a merciless world. Are you often disappointed with the people in your life? evaluating them, judging their motives, wishing they were better to you? Do you often feel discouraged, like there's just no way you can get the right friends or be the right friend? It might be a clue that you're being conformed to the world's view of friendship. There's a better way for us. And it's not to convince ourselves that we're enough, because we are not. I am proof. But Jesus is. So let's talk about the be transformed part of it now. Still under this category of transformation. Whenever Jesus calls us to follow him, we know good things are in store for us. They might be hard things, might not be easy, but we know it's going to be good. Jesus laid down his life to invite us into a new kind of love. A Jesus kind of love. His friendship with us transforms our friendship with others because we're loved fully and eternally, purely and completely. We're treasured, we're cherished, we're adopted, we're accepted, we're forgiven, we're purified. So many verbs in there, what Christ has done for us, we can't even remember them all. We're so blessed, so completely full of his love. John 15, 15 says, In Jesus' words, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, this is nuts and crazy, I have called you friends. Jesus calls us friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Everything I got, I'm given to you. Come on in. Here, it's all open to you. This is what Jesus says to us through the gospel. And no matter how What rough friendship terrain we encounter, 
we have the friendship of the dearest friend. Think of a tree that, that stands through some dry seasons. You know, if its, if its roots reach an underground stream, it can survive a drought. It's the same for us. Like, like rain, friendship is healthy. It feels good. It's, it's good for us. It's a gift. It's refreshing. But when there's a change or a temporary drought, going through a hard place, we have the love we need from Christ. We've got our roots in the river. Our passage in Romans 12 calls us to stop thinking the way the world thinks and remind ourselves every day of God's truth in his word where our minds are renewed. When we have Jesus as the foundation of our friendships, our friendships can begin to thrive. And we're just going to talk about a few ways that they thrive when Jesus is the foundation. Friendships thrive as gifts, not idols. When we forget all we have in Christ, we tend to measure ourselves by the love of our friends. And in a message like this, we can think, who loves me? Who considers me a friend? Who, who can't live without me? And they're vulnerable thoughts. They're real thoughts. The love of friends is indeed a wonderful gift. But Christians are filled from top to bottom with Christ. And his love flows through us. So we can sit here secure, firm in Christ, finding our identity in him. And when we're no longer making friendships idols, requiring their validation and affirmation, seal of approval over our lives, we can actually enjoy other people for who they are. We can be ourselves and let them be themselves. We can thank God for the friendships that we do have and enjoy them instead of strangling them with our expectations and needs and like wringing the life out of them. We had a friend that lived with us for several years, a really good family friend. And one time he was going somewhere, he was going to some outing, uh, and he was making a dessert and whipped cream to go with it. I don't think this happened a lot, but um, he was making this whipped cream. The kids probably remember this. I was in the other room reading or something, and I just remember hearing, all I had at the time was a little hand mixer. I remember hearing this like whirring, this like, this hand mixer going like for outrageous amounts of time. Five minutes, it felt like 10 minutes. And, And I was like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing in there? What are you doing to my mixer? What do you, you know, well, I was starting to smell that like hot motor smell. Like what, what, what are you doing? So of course I like get up and go over. And I didn't know this. I still don't understand how it works. and I don't care that much. So if you're like the science type and you want to inform me, don't, I don't really care. But this is, this is, this is actually true because I looked it up. Sometimes cream doesn't whip up in a plastic bowl. There's a funny chemical reaction. I didn't know that. So we're like, it was like magic cream. Like it wouldn't, Whip up. What is wrong with it? So we finally switched to a, a different bowl. I think it was a glass bowl. And immediately, it was whipped cream. It was what it was supposed to do. It, it whipped up perfectly. Friendship won't work when it's in the wrong bowl. The idol bowl. Okay? You'll be whipping it up forever. You'll be like whipping it and thrashing it and whipping it. You're going to burn your engine out. Like, why isn't this thing like doing what it's supposed to. It's not cooperating and you're, you know, you're frustrated. What's happening? You're burning out the motor. They, friendships need to be in God's bowl, okay? So instead of focusing on all you don't have, 
Consider two people who are gifts of friendship to you, even in a small way. Thank God for them. You don't need anything from them, but you get to enjoy them. They're in the right bowl. They are gifts of grace. Friendships thrive in diversity. Number two, we can enjoy diverse friendship circles and stop searching for the bestie or the group. If the bestie or the group isn't happening for you right now, whoo, what a relief. We can stop searching. The end of our passage speaks of the many different members of and, and members in the body of Christ and gifts that they have, gifts that God's given them in the body of Christ. We might receive some things from one friend and different things from another. Okay, so we might have that friend that's like the compassionate one. Like you just tell them a little something, they're like rubbing your back and like, oh, honey, you know. And, and then you might have the other friend who kind of tells you the truth. Like, mm, yeah, yeah, sorry about that, but ooh, you're doing this. And, you know, both are valuable. We have to be careful not to like pick you know, who we want to go to at a given time. We probably need the opposite one. Um, but, but that's a great thing. That's the way it's supposed to be. God's given various gifts to the members of the body of Christ. And one person can't be everything for us. They just won't be. They'll disappoint us because nobody's everything. And guess what? We're not everything for anybody else either. Our friends need other friends. Because you're, you're going to get like this right here from me. This is kind of all I've got. I'll give you what I got, but there's a whole lot I don't have, and so God's going to give you other people who can be that for you. That's God's design. It's a beautiful thing. We can affirm and encourage each other in that. Drew Hunter, in a book, Made for Friendship, which is also at the book table, says, A church with deep community is most likely a place in which each person goes deep with a handful of others. These are not isolated cliques, us four and no more, but overlapping networks of relationships. If we're always looking for the closed circle of friends, it might be better that God hasn't given it to us because he's got something better. Friendships thrive with a common goal. Friendships are built on shared vision. That's why you see running clubs and quilting clubs. And I was thinking through this and like, huh, like why do those two pop out to me? I wonder what other kind of clubs there are. So listen, these are actual clubs, okay? The Mustache Club, which hopefully not too many of us are in, but, you know, <laughs> at different times, you know, I'm probably in that sometimes. The Cheese Club, I'm in for that. The Hammock Club, these actually exist. I was thinking, like, let's combine the Cheese Club and the Hammock Club and, like, just eat cheese and hammocks, and that sounds great. Um, there is a Rock, Paper, Scissors Club that really exists. So if you're not smart enough for, like, a bridge club, you can just join the Rock, Paper, Scissors Club. Probably do really great in that. There's a lawnmower racing club. And I actually just heard this this morning. I wasn't even going to add this. I probably shouldn't. But I heard about the wine and wine club, which actually exists. You drink wine and whine about things, which none of us should be in that club, but it is out there. If it's you, we don't want to know. Um, but it is a club. But it's fun to do things together. It's fun to have a shared vision. It's fun to have memories and adventures. God made us that way. It's nice to have more to our friendships sometimes than just like sitting and staring at each other and talking about the same things over and over again. Um, It's fun to do things. As Christians, we have the ultimate shared adventure, encouraging one another onwards towards Christ, doing God's will, sharing the best news ever with others. We get to do this together. We get to 
pull each other along in this wonderful life of following Jesus over the hurdles, through the swamps, across the river. In Christ, we can experience a depth and substance of friendship the world just cannot find. They can't find it. So if you're in a bit of a friendship drought, throw yourself into service in the kingdom of God and see if your friendships grow. Friendships thrive when we prioritize them. Now this may sound obvious, but it's not. Our world values productivity, loves productivity. Squeezing the most out of every minute, appointments, work, goals, even entertainment. It's in the air we breathe. I mean, we've all seen those books that are like, schedule your entire 24-hour day in 15-minute increments. And like, I'm like, I can't even do that division. Like, I, I, and then sticks things in the 15 I'm just makes me dizzy. Um, you know, productivity. We're trying to get the most out of every second. And part of that is good. But have you ever noticed that relating to real people in real time slows you down? Texting's pretty quick, and that's a great tool sometimes. You know, we, or even the Marco Polo thing or whatever various, uh, you know, things you do. But talking with real people, which nothing replaces this, by the way, in real time is a slow process. It's not terribly efficient, listening and caring for people. The experience of friendship has devolved over the past decades, and many studies, many studies show that people are lonelier than ever. In our efficiency, friendship is one of the first things to go, because as C.S. Lewis said, friendship is unnecessary. Like philosophy, like art, it has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. Jesus had more to do than anyone, and he valued people. He considered them worthy of his time. He slowed down for them. He stopped for them. Jesus had friends with names, like actual people with names. Small group he walked and talked and laughed and cried and did other stuff with. We can follow him in that. Knowing and being known, glorifying God in the way he made us to pursue him, not individually, together. That's what the church is all about. Maybe you expected your friendships to stay close and meaningful with little or no investment, and you found that they actually haven't. It's not too late. God is with us to help us and change us and make us more like him. So think of one small way to reach out to a friend with no strings attached, doesn't have to be a big deal, and begin to build that friendship back up. Last, friendships thrive when we focus on serving rather than being served. This is incredibly counterintuitive, and there's still many a day when I'm like trying to get this into my head. But serving, and I immediately realize this when I do it, serving brings joy, brings refreshment, it brings life. Jesus is our ultimate example, coming not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And the Spirit is ready to breathe life in us when we step out and encourage and serve and love a friend, rather than waiting around for it to be done to us. Jesus will give us the love that we just don't have to give, which I'm really grateful for because I run out of it really quick. Jesus gives an eternal flow of his love for us to use. He gives us his love. He shares his love with us to then give out to others. 
And that all leads, of course, to number four, liberation. These are not friendship hacks. This is Christ's way. He liberates us. He frees us to enjoy the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in friendship, which in summary is love. We're liberated to love rightly, to live rightly, to confess and forgive, to persevere and serve, to be ourselves and laugh at ourselves, to not be easily offended, but to overlook where possible, to figure things out together, to embrace weakness in ourselves and embrace weakness in our friends, to be thankful for what we have, to point each other to Christ, to take risks. Christ's love frees us to trust him when friendships are hard and when we feel lonely because he loves us. It frees us to love others without worrying so much about what we're getting back because he loves us. Christ's love frees us to move from fear of missing out to assurance that we'll never miss out on what's ultimately good for us because he loves us. It frees us to risk initiating in friendship again because he loves us. And it really frees us to just relax in his love. I feel like, you know, we said, we hope you come in this building and just relax. I feel like God wants you to just say, relax in my love. And love others freely in return. This is the good of the gospel. Friendship with God, friendship with others. And the really great thing about being here in this room together with other women who want to follow the Lord is that, as Thomas Fuller said, there is a scarcity of friendship, but not of friends. Potential friends surround us. So my prayer is just that God begins and builds and bolsters friendships in this room. Even in this short couple days, he can do it. And that he reminds us of our sweet and unwavering friendship with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that you do everything first. Lord, you go first. You've done it all for us. You've shown us love. You've taken our sin and forgiven it. You've taken our penalty and paid for it. You've taken our future and made a plan for it. You've done it all for us. Thank you for being the friend of sinners. Thank you for transforming us to a new way, a better way. And Lord, we're aware that we can't do any of this by ourselves. We are hopeless and helpless sinners, but we know that you love to help us and you want to transform us and you promise to transform us. So we ask you for that tonight, Lord. We aren't done. We want more of you. We want to experience you. We want to get your friendship down deep in our hearts. We want it to flow out and affect the friendships we have with others. And we just ask that you would come and visit us powerfully as we transition to worship and ministry time. We want every little bit that you have for us this weekend. And we thank you that you are a generous God. We thank you that you are our ultimate friend and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.